Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is uh, February 19th, 2023, and we're continuing uh, our service with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, thought of the week. While our Lord Jesus Christ has a prominent role in the Father's external purpose, the Holy Spirit is also a very popular person for those in this age. The ministry of the Holy Spirit defined us as set us apart for God's purposes. The Father saved us through the work of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit enlightens, convicts, equips, empowers, and guides us. We have a comprehensive care package in the person of the Spirit of God. Everything we need to stand face to face with the Father is provided recklessly by the Spirit. I know the Spirit role is not for Him to be the primary focus, for He lifts our Lord to that position. But I can't help but see Him also. The Father has one goal and purpose, and the Spirit is submitted and committed to it. When we think or act in ways that we are not consistent with the Father's eternal purpose, the Spirit is grieved. The Spirit must work with our vacillation will and motivation to accomplish the Father's plan. The Father's thoughts of everything is seen, and we are caring and loving Him in the person of the spirit while he had the nature of eternal god he did not consider clinging to that as his highest goal but worked tirelessly as an agent in the father's plan to bring us home to our final destiny in christ so, so good some great words concerning this uh, we must depend not on our own, but on the Father's plan that he has for us. As we know, the Father has every intention for us, for his perfect and good will. So we must submit through humility to listen to that. So I think this through the thought of the week, and there's more to be said by this, but I just not see if we have prayer to give us opening prayer. Amen, Dave. Thank you, thank you, Dave. Um, at this time, uh, are there any special prayer requests? Uh, take to the throne of grace. Yes, Fred. Um, I'm just raising um, the Hand family and uh, the Wilmore family, and also the Carter family. Jimmy Carter, I'm told, president, former president Jimmy Carter has gone into hospice, so praying for his family as well. Okay. And if you not been saved with prayer. Yes, sir, Dave. Sorry. All right, at this time, let us take this to the throne of grace and prayer. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful, Lord, for this opportunity of fellowship to come together to learn and hear more about your plan and your eternal plan for us, Lord. Asking, thanking you, Lord, for watching over us and keeping us throughout the week as we are thankful, Lord, for all of our collective health. Asking, Lord, for special prayer, Lord, for uh, the Haddon family, my sister Gail and her entire family. Uh, keeping in mind her husband, Lord, who continues to struggle with various illnesses, Lord, that you will continue, Lord, to keep his your hand on him and your will might be done in this, in this matter. Also, Lord, uh, our Aunt Mary and the Will and that includes the entire Wilmore family as she has entered into hospice care, Lord, asking that you would Watch over to her and the entire family, Lord, uh, as, as they and the doctors have made end-of-life plans. That also also goes, Lord, for our president, our ex-president, Jimmy Carter, who has also chosen him and his family and the doctors to enter into your end of life, that you would comfort them and lead them on that journey into eternity. Thanking you, Lord, for, again, for all your blessings, uh, our health, our church, our pastor, Lord, uh, the entire uh, Word is Truth Church, uh, remembering and asking for prayer for Dave and his family, uh, and all of the members of the Word is Truth Church. That includes the Word of Truth. My brother, Michael Presley, asking Lord that you continue to watch over him uh, and all the members of the Word of Truth Church. Asking Lord uh, for prayer, also for the book that uh, our pastor Doug Presley is currently working on, The Gospel According to Doug, that Lord that you would provide readers who would give the book a fair hearing and it lays the foundation, Lord, uh, of grace that, you know, we cannot do this ourselves. This was done. And if this book lays out the foundation of what was accomplished and where we are in Christ, asking the Lord that you bring through God the Holy Spirit that you would allow people to read it and hear the contents and, and view the contents subjectively of the book. Lord, continue that I, I, my prayer is that we would continue to grow and have a reason for the hope that's in us to go forward, Lord, with the call of God as we have a mission and all our missions, I mean, we're not here on earth for that we might carry the bloodstained banner of Christ. In Christ's loving name, I'm praying. Amen. 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 Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Amen. Dave. <clears throat> Much appreciated. Well, we are 
studying in the book of Galatians or in the Galatians overview, you should have notes. And uh, in your notes, we're going to get right to it. Uh, we have a few, uh, hopefully a few verses that we will get to. We'll see. Uh, in your notes, as we launch out into Galatians chapter 1, our hope is to be familiar with the foundational material before us. This book has themes that are rich in our understanding of grace and living the Christian way of life. It has been about 12 years since our last focus on the book. We will do a chapter review on each chapter to remind us of the content. So we started, uh, we opened, um, and we got all the way down to, in your notes, I know it looks long, uh, chapter 1, 15. I think that's where we left off. <clears throat> but I'll just go uh, into 14 a little bit, to, and we'll catch us up really quick just to make sure we all are remembering some of the things we discussed. <clears throat> so 114, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age uh, among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Point A, Saul was a Pharisee, which alone speaks for itself, but he was ahead of his peers. He was a prodigy, you could say. Point B, extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Those zealous for the law created more laws, and they became part of their traditions. We should say oral traditions. In Saul's day, they were oral traditions, but they were reduced to writing in the Mishnah and Talmud. These were uh, what we could say extra-biblical uh, writings from the Jews that they also uh, documented their traditions and how they understood the Torah, or the Bible, we could say. Point C, Saul specialized in religious traditions which were not based on biblical teaching, but a distortion of the Mosaic law. Hence, the big lie was also the resistance of the Spirit. And we gave some scriptures for that, uh, where it talks about that in Acts 7.51 and Romans 10.1-4. through 4. <clears throat> Point D, Jesus stood against these traditions and saw them as opposed to the will of God. And we went through Matthew 15, 1 through 9, to help demonstrate that, where we now should know that uh, those traditions were not according to God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit was the one who they should have depended on to interpret correctly the Mosaic law, not the traditions of the elders. Jesus pointed out they were, from their traditions, they were contradicting the word of God. Now that was in one area that Jesus pointed this out, but I'm sure there were plenty other examples of this as well. Anyway, we, we discussed this last weekend, but we're moving on to Galatians chapter 15. This is point number three. Galatians 1, uh, chapter 15, Ch chapter 1, verse 15 says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased 
<clears throat> actually it goes into verse 16 which says please to reveal his son in me so but in 15 we got a few points to discuss point a set me apart from my mother's womb and what is that that's birth right? that's simply i don't do we that's what that's a reference to i know a lot of people um, are occupied with you know the womb and abortion and this and that, right? But this, Paul is saying it is God who set him apart from his mother's womb. Now, what we should know from this is that God had a purpose over the life of this man. This is what we're saying. So um, he's not just saying he was born like everybody else. He's saying that I understand that God had a purpose for my life. And I, listen, when he was born, he was Saul. Remember, <laughs> he was born as Saul. And uh, we, we only know Saul in speaking of his opposition to Christianity. He was doggedly resistant to what um, Jesus, who Jesus was. In fact, that's what we heard from Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So, so Paul is making this point. But when God set me apart from my mother's womb, in other words, I, he caused me to be born. The person he was, was created by God. And obviously he was born in sin and shaping in iniquity and he was condemned and he was under spiritual death and uh, sin nature, and all these things we could mention. He was unrighteous. All of this was birth. When we think of birth, all of those things must go with birth under Adam. So Paul he heard he knows all this because he, he taught this extensively. Point B, called me by his grace. All right, he set me apart from my mother's room and called me by his grace. Now, so Paul understands that God's call over his life started with his birth, and the same is true of us. I'm wondering if you see that. I'm wondering if, like the Apostle Paul, you understand that, just like Paul, for, for like we read in Ephesians 1-4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight and love. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons in accordance, in accordance with his pleasure and will. I'm wondering if you, when you think about your birth, that you think of that as well. I bet you don't. I bet you don't think of it that way. But you should. I'm saying, if you do, great, great. But if you haven't, then please do. Because this sets the tone for God calling you to be here at this particular time. That's what Paul understood. He made that application. We can too. Point C. This is why we teach that after God called us, Ephesians 1.4, he selected us to be born at this time. That is between Pentecost and the rapture. Now, I'm, if you don't, I mean, this is really a logical conclusion, point C, because if he called you before time began, before the creation of the world, 
to be in Christ, then that means that when he began to call out those many sons in the glory, that he would have to select you to be born at that particular time in history, human history. And we know that that particular time in human history is from Pentecost to the rapture. Now, if I ask you, how, how is it that you happen to be born in this time period from Pentecost to the rapture? I don't know. We know when Pentecost happened, but we don't know what the end point is. That is the rapture. We don't know because it hasn't happened yet. But we, for this time period, how, did, how was it that you happened to be born here? It's because God selected you to be born at this time. That was purposeful by God. It was not by mistake. It was not due to a husband's will or a husband's or, uh, you know, you just were born because uh, your mother and father decided they would have kids. You were born at this particular time because of God. He's the one who selected you to be born at this time. You know what this says? That he could have selected you to be born at another time, but he selected you to be born at this time. And this also says that it is God who is the author of life. It is not our human parents. It is not... Uh, you know, oh, my grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, and then my great-grandfather, and my grandfather, and my father, and then me. No, it, it's God who selected me to be born at this time in history. That's special. That is not just, well, okay, well, I just happened to show up at this time. Nope, nope, nope. Hopefully you understand the calling that is over your life. That's what's important in these points here. When Paul is saying, God who set me apart from my mother. He didn't say my father who was from the tribe of Benjamin. And, and No, he said God did it. Because God is the only one who can give life. It is God who imputes our life. He creates who we are and imputes us to uh, when he says from the womb, he, he, he said, called me from the womb, out from the womb. So, so uh, Paul is saying when he came out from the womb, the fetus, then God created life for him in that order. Out from the womb, he's saying. He, when he says he separated me from my mother's womb. Right? That, so that, that is to say that it is God's business to do that for us. Point D, he was pleased to reveal his son in me. Now, um, so we just have to make sure that we understand that point. This is another important point to make. Let's just, let's just review. He was pleased to reveal his son in me. Now I know this point goes with the next verse, but we can't just leave this verse hanging but he called me by his grace, was pleased. Now, we should talk about what it means for God to be pleased. It doesn't mean he's sitting there with a smile on his face. It means, well, it does mean that, but it means more so that he has a will in all of this. 
God has an agenda, right? God is not just up there um, at our beck and call to do things for us that we feel are important. He has an agenda in all of this. It's important to God that, you know, he, things go according to his plan, his purpose. So that's, I mean, when we think about he was pleased to do that, well, we always thinking, we're always thinking about what pleases us. We're not, it takes, it is a matter of humility where we're able to finally turn aside from what pleases us to what pleases God. It, and I could say it's a matter of growth, but it, it takes humility to have growth. Humility means that we know we don't have all the answers. We know that we're here, but we're ignorant and, and products of what happened in Adam and condemnation and spiritual death and unrighteousness and dead in our transgressions and sins and on and on. We know that's true of us. But when we talk about it in this manner, we're saying that now we've come to understand that it's not about us in this world. It's really about God. It's about his purposes for our lives. And he has created something, and we are part of it. He has an agenda, and we are a part. We're agents in his agenda. I see that's Paul is recognizing what it means that God's will, he's pleased to do something in this world, because this is a part of him fulfilling his purposes. So uh, I say in the point, point D, it's further evidence of God's eternal intention and his will to execute his purpose. He was pleased. His God has a will. Right? We, we don't think so. Some people don't even see God as legitimately having personhood. They think God is just there like a slot machine. You could put in your 50 cents and you get out whatever, you know, a blessing or some sort of favor from God, that he's, he's only existing to bless them when really God has an agenda. So let's just say it this way. The Father has a plan. The Son's plan is the exact same plan that the Father had. His Father has given everything over to the Son. That's John 14, uh, 16, 15. He's giving everything over to the Son. That is why I'm telling you this, Christ said. And then... The Holy Spirit has a plan. Well, what's his plan? Well, it's the same to accentuate and to manifest the plan that is that Christ has, which is the same plan the Father has. So the minister who is there in the next uh, chain of authority, or the apostles, prophets, right, and then pastor, teachers, their objective, what do you think their objective is? It's the same thing, <laughs> to follow the plan. Right. And if you get out of line, if you, uh, you know, or not, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. When you don't have an agenda that is about faith, then you're out of line. And then what's next? The, the people who are ambassadors for Christ, who have various gifts according to the Spirit, then what is their agenda? 
the same thing. It never changes, right? So anybody who thinks that, that the whole thing is about them, well, we could say they're children. And they're susceptible to be manipulated. That's why it says, don't be like children, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the cunning and craftiness of men who lie in wait to deceive them. That's Ephesians 4. Don't be like that. So well, how do you stop, you know, this whole, you got to make sure that you understand the plan and that you are doing exactly what the pastor, the Holy Spirit, Christ, the Father is doing in the world. That's how God is pleased. Point four. Point four. We're moving on to Galatians 1.16 in our notes. Galatians 1.16 says to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. So this is, <clears throat> this is Paul, his testimony in Galatians. And what is he saying? He's talking about his calling, as we have discussed. And we're talking about what happened. We know Paul was on his way to Damascus to... Uh, go gather up and arrest Christians there, persecute them because they believed in the way, the, the, the Christ and the way of life that was new. He felt like this was a blight uh, on humanity and uh, a farce. He thought it was uh, something that should be extinguished, uh, stamped out in the world. So his, he thought he took it upon himself to do just that. So he was going out, and he would persecute them. He would, it would, it, if it came down to murdering Christians, he even says he did that. Uh, he was involved in the murdering of Christians. Imagine that. Talk about being wrong, <laughs> on the wrong side. Well, Saul was on the wrong side. But now he's telling you about how God uh, revealed these things to him. So he didn't just reveal... Uh, this message that Jesus is to Christ. So he had to come to that point. But he also revealed the new way of life that began to dawn at Pentecost. So that's what he's talking about, this revelation. So 116 again, to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. So it's interesting that Paul's first response, his first notion when he was got this whole thing, he saw this bright light, he fell off his horse, uh, Christ said, why are you persecuting me? And the whole conversion where Paul said, who are you, Lord? And then, you know, he went into Damascus and then there was Ananias and this, he was blind and so forth. You, you know the story. If you don't, Go back and read Acts chapter 9, because there it is. It's all there. So, but what happened um, in, in all of this, Paul thought, well, I'm not going to go to any human being. Well, what does he mean, any human being? What he's saying is, he did not go to the other apostles who were before him. Right? We're going to get to that. All of that's in the context. So let's just let, let it develop. Point A, reveal his son in me. 
That's 2 Corinthians 4, 6 is my reference there. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. What did I say here? For God, who said, light, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Now get that, because the light here that he's talking about is a reference not just to the gospel, but to this new age information that began at Pentecost. It's, it's, it's really a reference to that. When Paul's, and then, how do we know for sure? Because he's talking about preaching to the Gentiles. So not only God, did God make Paul aware of his persecution of the church, but he also told him the things that he must suffer and that he will go to the Gentiles and so forth. God, he, all of this was not given because Paul met with the other apostles and they said, well, I'm going to go here and you're going to go there. Paul got this from God, we should realize. And his preaching to the Gentiles is about the church age. Remember, Saul was a Pharisee. He wasn't just any Pharisee. Remember, we already said he was a prodigy. He was. He, was, he says, I was advanced and above my peers. So point A is reveal this unto me, a, a clear reference to Paul's call in this age. The only way this could happen in human history is by the baptism of the Spirit. So we can't say, there were things that happened to us as uh, believers in this age that did not happen to believers in other ages. How did this happen? <clears throat> we call it, well, let's, let's say we call it, the Bible calls it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is how uh, all of this takes place, where Paul understood now that he's in the new age. Baptism of the Spirit is not salvation. It is what happens after salvation. I know we're saying after for teaching purposes because all of these things happen simultaneously upon believing in Christ. We are baptized by the Holy Spirit. So this happened to the Apostle Paul and he's telling us that he has become, uh, he's given this charge or this commission by God to go out and preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, that's Ephesians 3, 7. But that is the thought here, that he was given this revelation. So point B, let's keep going. Saul was born from the tribe of Benjamin. And we already went through Philippians 3. We, we saw where he tells you about what his resume is in, in prior to coming to Christ. Uh, this was a calling to Israel. So we should note that the apostle uh, Paul, that we know him, he was Saul the Pharisee. Be and he was, he tells you about who he was. He was a tribe of, from the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. So he was born as a Jew, right? That's what we could say. He was born as a Jew to be born with the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a calling. 
God called, that means he was in Israel. Legitimately, he was called to the nation Israel. Now, obviously, he wasn't doing the right thing in the nation Israel. He believed what we call the big lie. The big lie was that you could be justified by your works, that your works somehow gain you favor and justification and status before God. And that's all the Israelites wanted. It says He says that's what they earnestly sought for. They did not get it because they sought it the wrong way. So, but in this thought, this is, this is Paul is saying he, he was a, a Jew. So just know he was already called to Israel. So when we talk about uh, point C, Paul was then called to be in Christ. So imagine, here's a person, and there were others as well. We could say all the disciples of Christ had the same scenario. They were called in Israel, and yet they became apostles for the church, which is another calling. So that's point C. Paul was then called to be in Christ where there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's Galatians 3.28. So this is, <clears throat> this is unique. This is a unique call. This never happened in human history before until the baptism of the Spirit baptized Jew and Gentile, slave and free, all these different designations uh, that were in the ancient world, all of wherever you found yourself in one of those designations, or maybe there was some other designation that uh, was not mentioned here, but no matter what, if anybody believes in Christ, then they are baptized into the body of Christ. All of this is a part of God's new age, right? This is how it is, right? So it's a calling, just like Paul was called to the nation Israel. Well, uh, there was this calling now to the church. So Paul had two callings. Actually, that's expressed as well in Romans 11. We covered that uh, in the first few verses. Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm an Israelite. I, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. God didn't forsake his people, which he foreknew. I got another call. And that call was to the church, which he also accepted. Point D, point D, to preach to the Gentiles. This was not the apostles' plan. Listen, as a Pharisee, Paul was avoiding the Gentiles. He wasn't trying to preach to the Gentiles. The new call was about preaching. It was about God telling the apostle that he had a message that included the Gentiles. Acts 9.15 is a good, uh, let's read it. This We've read this before, of course, because we've read the entire thing. Acts 9.15 says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This is where Ananias went back and forth with the Lord. Because remember when he had, a, God gave Ananias a vision. Go down to Straight Street and tell, and now you're going to see this man and his, and you know who he is and so forth. And Ananias said, but wait a minute. Verse 13, right? I've heard many reports about this man. And, 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 
and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. And hold on, you want me to go to this man, Lord? Are you sure? This is what he says in 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So, so notice, who, this was before Paul or Saul met any of the apostles. This is the vision God gave to Ananias, and to, he already gave it to, to Saul, but he's now telling Ananias, hey, this is my man that I'm going to send to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the people of Israel. He, he, Paul's going to everybody, but especially, especially to the Gentiles. Listen, it was no great understanding that Paul is going to go talk to Jews, right? Because, yeah, that was very natural for him. But now, for him who was a Pharisee, that means he has to sort through all of those thoughts that he had when he was a Pharisee. He has to discard them. And I like what he says in Philippians. He says, whatever I thought were, were gains to me, I now count them as loss. I, in fact, he says, I've lost, lost all things for the sake of my Lord, Jesus Christ. This is Philippians. He, 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 he comes to that thought, but don't think that coming to that thought was easy for Saul to come to. Don't think there was no struggle in his heart where he was once a proponent, somebody who went out fiercely and persecuted the church for now to have turned completely 180 degrees to be for the church. But, but not only is he just for Israel's call, which was, okay, we'll be a light to the Gentiles. Yeah, we, we are the chosen people and we're a light to the Gentiles. But there's a new age now where Paul has to turn the corner again and say, no, it's not about Israel. It's about this new age, the church. And so this is, as we've been saying, has been the controversy in the first century, and it continues to be a controversy to this very day. Not, not as much as it was in, it's very subtle now, where people are denying the assets and attributes and intentions of God in this age, and they, they are constantly looking back to Israel for their understanding of how to live. Oh, they might not take the whole law, they may take pieces of it. And their whole orientation is the Mosaic law. And they don't see Israel as set aside for now, but now God is dealing with this new calling, the church, which is not under the law at all. So it is clear that Gentiles can now be in the same body as those who were former Jews. But now we're no longer Jew or Gentile, as we quoted Roman, uh, Galatians 3 and 28. 
So preach to the Gentiles is when Paul says that, he's talking about the new dispensation. That's point D. So it wasn't in his plan to do otherwise. Point E. Point E. He says not to consult any human being. Right Now this is what he says toward the end of it. His first, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. So Paul wanted the revelation to be pure. He did not want to be influenced by others, only the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Christ taught Paul this information about who he was, what he had called him to be. I mean, imagine that. If it was one of us, I mean, just to have... Saul's salvation would be one thing. But to now make him an apostle of the church, the very church that he persecuted, I don't think any of us would have the forethought of mind to be able to think in those terms. But God did. God did. He's all the things that Saul did, even to the point where Christ had to accost Paul and say, Paul, Saul, he didn't say Paul. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And this, this was, it stopped Paul in his tracks. And I keep saying Paul, but you know I mean Saul. But it, it stopped him in his tracks and set him on a different course altogether. He said he didn't consult any human being. So when God gave him this revelation, he realized it was from the Lord Jesus Christ, and he realized that it, di it really didn't matter what other people said. He needed to get the full revelation for himself first. He didn't go off half-cocked to go out and say things that he wasn't sure of. He wanted to be sure. He didn't want to have outside influence. He, did, he didn't want to discount the revelation that he had by trying to confirm it with other people. He wanted it confirmed by the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's safe to say, it's safe to say that not only was Saul given revelation directly from the Lord Jesus Christ, but subsequently, he was given more information from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's safe to say because he didn't just flash all of this on him at one time and then Saul just was left to grapple with it. He didn't have some 20-page document that had all this information and all, now go study this. No, he had communication with the Lord Jesus Christ after this uh Damascus experience. So we should, we should understand that. And it's not odd to think of it this way because all the apostles all, who were disciples also had personal communication with the Lord, personal time with the Lord. They could ask questions. Lord, how can this be? Remember Philip? Lord, show us the Father and then we'll be satisfied uh, or, or others that were out there at that time who were disciples of the Lord, as we have just gone through John 14 through 17, 
we saw plenty of examples where the disciples had seen the signs, the wonders, the miracles, that they understood who Christ was. They had conversations with him off to the side. And now we see Saul had the same opportunity to meet and convene and, and to communicate with the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to Saul and he communicated with him. That's the only way he could have told them all of this information. First of all, he understood he was the Christ. That's big in and of itself. Never mind, because he was against that. He was against Christ. That He was not the Christ, and he was not uh, the Messiah. But then he had to learn that point, and he got that pretty quick because the Lord showed him who he was in glory. But... He also, after that, he got more information about this new age that we are in. So, just keep that in mind. So, this point E, not to console any human being, Paul wanted the revelation to be pure. He didn't want outside influence. And he didn't need confirmation from others. And he didn't want to be influenced by others. But only the Lord Jesus Christ. He, was, he got that revelation and his mind focused and his attention Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, what an example we could say that is for us, right? So then it, uh, we're going to move on, though. So Galatians 1.17, this is point number five in our notes. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. So, we have a timeline here of the apostle going to, uh, he didn't, he, well, the point, the point he's making here is I did not go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. You would think that he would go and find the other apostles. I'm kind of glad he didn't at this point, but this is not even what pleases me. Uh, because it was already, Ananias was already having a lot of problems with uh, even just going to, to do what he was supposed to do. Imagine that others knew about this. This man was coming to Damascus to round up more Jews who were according, who had believed in Christ and were focusing their attention on him. And Paul was persecuting them. And they heard about it in Damascus, so Paul went there. Now, there was a lot of persecution in Jerusalem, so it kind of split the disciples. And those, when I say the disciples, I'm saying not just the apostles, but it, it caused people to scatter and leave Jerusalem, and they went to various places. So obviously, Damascus was one of the places they went because it started in Jerusalem. So he says, I did not go up to Jerusalem. You would, so Jerusalem was the center of where most Christians would have been. And Paul was there persecuting. And his name was already on the lips of many. Watch out for Saul. Watch out for Saul. He says, I didn't go there. And when I was looking at the map, Paul mentions this because he had to pass by Jerusalem to get to Arabia. So this is interesting when you think about it, that, you know, his journey uh, 
what I did see, uh, and point B, I bring this out, that from Damascus to Jerusalem was about 150 miles. So it would have taken Saul about two weeks. Uh, and I gave a reference here, but you can, you can read that. We don't know exactly what path he went and all that. So we're not, this is all approximate. But we do know these places, Damascus, which is in Syria now, today. He went from Damascus to Jerusalem, or he was going from Jerusalem to Damascus at first. So when he was just before he got to Damascus is where Lord Jesus Christ met him on the road, just before he got there. Then he was led into Damascus where Ananias and other believers were there. And... Um, hiding most likely incognito and then <clears throat> after he you know this the whole thing with ananias he left there and it says he did not go to jerusalem he could have gone to jerusalem but he did not he bypassed it and he went uh, to arabia now so point c and i might go back over these points just I just want to get it out there. Point C is after going to Arabia, he went back to Damascus. So this whole thing was three years total. Then he went to Jerusalem. So this is the timeline. So when you think about it, there is a gap here of understanding that we don't have. All we know is the, he, went, he was on his way to Damascus. He got there. He got the revelation. And he went to Arabia. It doesn't say where in Arabia. He went to, but there is, it, it, people think that it's below Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is south, Damascus is north. So he went back, uh, he went back from where he came from, which was Jerusalem. And remember the council, the chief priests, all that. He didn't go there and he didn't go to the apostles who were there. He went to Arabia. How long he spent in Arabia, we do not know. How long? Well, we know it was three years total between Arabia and Damascus. Because then after he left Arabia, he went back to Damascus. He still didn't go to Jerusalem. It means he would have had to pass Jerusalem again. And so he still didn't go there. <clears throat> he, he was, he, it was his intention not to go there. He could have went there. But he went back to Damascus, and there he went into synagogues, and as we, we can read in Acts and other things that he did when he was in Damascus, right after his conversion. But then he went to Jerusalem after that. So this is, this is the journey. We don't know how long he stayed there in Arabia, but you know, for three years. This is to say that Paul had some uh, renewing of his mind to do. And he took the time. He didn't just rush out and, and start preaching the gospel, this new gospel, which is according to the revelation of the mystery. He didn't run out and start preaching it. Because remember, his whole thrust as a Pharisee was on to destroy the church. And the reason why he wanted to destroy the church is because he felt that it was going to that the church was going to destroy the Mosaic Law. All right? That's as a 
Pharisee. He says, I mean, we're against this. They're teaching things that are false. They're trying to get Gentiles in into our body, which is against the rules that we have to where we would uh, bring Gentiles in. They would have to be circumcised. They would have to make vows and obey the Mosaic law and such things. And Paul was against all of that. And now he's on the other side. He's saying, preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, no circumcision, and all the things that they were pushing. So, so that three years, Paul needed some time to allow the revelation to set in and to allow Jesus to personally teach him the way to go. And that's not just Jesus, but through God, the Holy Spirit, to teach him the mind of Christ. He didn't just rush out. He, he needed time to unwind from being a Pharisee, and he needed time to orient to the new revelation. We need, I recognize, it is not, oh, as soon as you're saved, that you automatically understand the new age. No, it takes a little time. It took the apostle here some time. But then afterwards, he did go up to Jerusalem and he did meet with them. So this is the thought. Um, <clears throat> so let's just go over Galatians 1.17, which helps us understand. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. He's not saying he's better than those other apostles. His, he's not saying his, his message is different from those other apostles. He, he recognizes that they are apostles. He says, but I went into Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. He went into Arabia, I think, to get his head together. He really did. He needed, he needed that time. Point A, I did not go up to Jerusalem. Paul mentions this because he had to pass by Jerusalem to get to Arabia. All of this is a review of what we just talked about. Point B, from Jerusalem to Damascus is about 150 miles, about a two-week journey. It's not easy by horse and by foot to travel back in those days. They didn't have the train, they didn't have cars, they have airplanes. They just had horse and foot if you had to travel. So point C, after going to Arabia, he went back to Damascus, three years total, then went to Jerusalem. So we have uh, this... And, you know, if you were really wanted to study, the, there are missionary journeys that uh, the Apostle Paul took. And it details all of the places that he went when he went on these journeys. And uh, what's interesting, I think, also, is that the book of Acts gives us detailed information. And I, people have said, oh, the book of Acts is not true, and... You know, it proves, and but then as archaeology uh, confirms, a lot of these things and places that, Paul, that he went to are confirmed. Yes, the book of Acts was true. It was accurate. And we can trust what is said here as reliable information. It is not just some story that Paul made up that said he went here and he went there. He did go to these places. He talked to these people. He did all, all, all those events that you find in the book of Acts are detail 
from where what God is telling us to confirm to us that these things are actually so. So we're going to introduce 18. Let's talk about 18. Galatians 1.18, this is point number six. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. So a little over two weeks, he was there with Peter. Paul's mention of this is to confirm that he had divine authority, not apostle authority. When I say not apostle authority, he didn't go to check with Peter to say, okay, is it okay if if I go out uh, and preach? No, he didn't need to do that. He was an apostle, same as Peter was. He He didn't go there to get Peter's blessing. He was already an apostle. He already spoke with the Lord Jesus Christ and and he had already got his commission directly from him. His authority rested from the Lord Jesus Christ. So that goes back to what we read in Ephesians chapter four. If I can turn to it, where it says right here. So verse 411, so Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. So here it is, right here, Christ himself. And here is the gift that Paul had, which which is an authority gift, was apostle. And this is not just apostles, meaning I have the highest authority, but the teaching that the church would uh, later contend, earnestly contend for, is the apostles' teaching. That is the foundation of the church. Remember, the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. So Paul is literally saying, I got my authority from the Lord Jesus Christ not from Peter and the others who were apostles before him. He recognizes they were apostles before he was. But he, he then goes up to Jerusalem and stays with Peter 15 days. So as we are, we should uh, wrap up. We're in 118. We have some points to cover and uh, we'll come back next week. And uh, well, we'll have more time, God willing. And we'll continue where we are in this overview of Galatians. We only have a few more verses left in Galatians 1, and then we'll turn the corner to Galatians 2. I'd say in the next couple weeks, that's going to happen. So stay tuned. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had together this morning. We thank you for those who have joined, and we pray for each person the families that are represented. Lord, we're going through tough times in this world. And we pray that uh, you will continue to watch over us and keep us so that we can continue to grow in grace, renewing our minds. All of this we ask in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. 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 All right.